going, everybody? We are back after a hiatus of about a week. I did graduate from the University of Maryland, so congratulations to me, becoming a real-world journalist. Still looking for a job, but we're we're working on the podcast. This is my full-time job as of now. Uh, we really enjoy it. I really have a lot of fun. really like watching sports, so I'm back in Mawa, New Jersey, right outside New York City. Got to go to a Yankee game yesterday. They did lose to the Orioles, uh, sort of a bad beat. Uh, it was very upsetting. My friend said we should bet on the Orioles or, you know, pick the Orioles because we could win, you know. But I said there's no way they're going to lose, and they lose even though Judge hit two home runs, you know, leading the MLB. Anyway, we'll get right into it with the news this week. We're going Jake Sanford for the New York Yankees minor league. Was cut for selling teammates' equipment online. Uh, the former 2019 third-round pick was scamming people online, saying that he was going to sell their teammates' equipment to them, and then apparently failed to deliver on those equipment uh, offers. He accepted the money and just never sent it to them. Apparently, they saw this was related to gambling debt, so you know you don't want to get involved in gambling if you if it's going to be an issue. Um, just a shame to see. He was a promising prospect I saw, and then they had to cut ties with him. You know, just just some shady behavior. Uh, not going to spend too much time on this just because it's kind of negative, kind of a bad look. Uh, but it's similar to the Ruben Rivera situation with Derek Jeter. It was a friend of Derek Jeter's on the Yankees. Uh, outfield prospect, top outfield prospect, stole Derek Jeter's equipment, was going to sell it to people. Don't believe there was much of an internet back then, but he was going to sell it nonetheless. And Ruben Rivera ended, getting, ended up getting cut. And he did say, oh, I returned all this stuff. But I think it was kind of just the, the what was behind it, the, the motivation. Um Anyway, Jake Sanford did sign with the Ottawa Titans after getting released of the pre, not the pre, not the soccer league, the Frontier League, which has some teams near me, New Jersey Jackals, um, and the Rockland Boulder, New York Boulders now. So it's also the same league that Kumar Rocker is in ever since he was not signed by the Mets after they drafted him in the first round, which is pretty incredible. I feel like you would want to sign your first round pick, but they saw something wrong there, so he is going to the Frontier League. Also, quickly, just some slightly negative note, negative uh, news. We got Matt Harvey being suspended for 60 games for distributing oxycodone. It's kind of tied into that Tyler Skaggs uh, when he was found dead in 2019 with, you know, oxycodone and fentanyl and all those things, all those really deadly opioids. Um, you know, the former Angels communications director Eric K was found guilty of distributing fentanyl and causing Skaggs' death. Um, you know, I just want to don't want to go too deep into this just because, you know, as I said, it's a very bad, bad look and negative thing in baseball. But, uh, you know, Matt Harvey, he was once the stud, the Dark Knight in New York with Syndergaard, who's on the Angels now, and uh, Jacob deGrom, who, you know, was hurt again. But so that's where Matt Harvey is. You know, he's serving that suspension right now. Next, something a little more fun. We got the Juan Soto potential trades. There was rumors that he was going to be traded by the Nationals. You know, they've been trading away their whole team. Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, Rendon was out of there. Uh, you know, just all these guys finding their way out of there. So I just wanted to see what they would do with Juan Soto. I put, I don't think he should be traded. He's very young. He is worth a lot of money. He is worth around 400 to $500 million. And his agent said he's not going to be traded. But, you know, agents be agents. Uh, I think they just want to, you know, play out the season, be focused on the season. But I wanted to entertain the rumors and look into some potential destinations. Of course, we're going to look at the Yankees uh, as a potential destination. You know, they have money up the wazoo. They got so much money they could, uh, they could spend. Uh, they were potentially going to trade Anthony Volpe and Jason Dominguez, top prospects that are looking really good. I think Volpe is like number eight 
uh, in the MLB. And also, as we know, New York bringing a lot of hefty lefties. Joey Gallo not working out so much. Anthony Rizzo has been a you know a good uh, example of this. They got that short porch, so Juan Soto could really make a difference. And also just an outfield of Juan Soto, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, if he plays the outfield. Uh, Aaron Hicks, I'll say too. Um, you could take Aaron Hicks' spot for sure. But also another AL East team, another AL East juggernaut who's got a lot of good power. Uh, we got the Blue Jays. Buster Olney said that front offices see this happening. This is the this is the premier destination where it's most likely going to happen. I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, but the Blue Jays' offense would just be absolutely elite. George Springer, Vlad Guerrero, um, Don, uh, Dante Bichette, Bo Bichette, who's not not been hot this year, but could definitely can definitely uh, heat up. Matt Chapman, all those guys, Lourdes Gurriel, that would be a deadly deadly offense, deadly lineup. And also, we're going to see, you know, it's always the Dodgers are going to Dodger. I said this before, the Dodgers, they always, they have the money like the Yankees. I think they have more money than the Yankees, the only team. Um, you know, they got all that money, as I said. And they could potentially move uh, Juan Soto to left field with Betts and right. Just another incredible MVP outfield. Um, and, you know, these teams who have money, they're going to dish it out, uh, especially the Yankees who tend to throw away a lot of their future. Not throw away, but, you know, win now. It's always the Yankees always want to win now. They have great prospects, but they usually do try to get those better all-star guys in right now while they can. So those are what just some things I wanted to highlight about Juan Soto's potential destinations. Next, we're going to go to Max Scherzer staying in New York. Uh, with the injury, he's going to miss six to eight weeks with an internal oblique strain, and he won't be back until at least July. DeGrom is also out indefinitely, as we know. Tyler McGill is also out uh, with tendonitis. Chris Bassett is a new ace, and, you know, like, that's not a horrible ace. He was the ace of the athletics, I believe. Um, their rotation is still pretty good with um, Chris Bassett, Taiwan Walker, Carlos Carrasco, and David Peterson. It's a, I would say it's an above-average rotation. Uh, you know, Bass is great. Walker has been great. Carrasco has been looking good. David Peterson looking good as well. Um, but, you know, you're still missing out on three, three top two, two MVP caliber, Scion caliber, and Tyler McGill, who was looking to have a great year. Um, you're missing out on Scherzer as, as we're, we're focusing on right now. Five and one this year with a two, five, four ERA before his injury. So you're, you're missing out on a lot of guys. It's kind of the Mets. It happens to the Mets a lot, you know, start out hot and fizzle out. But, you know, this one's kind of excuse, kind of excusable because of all the injuries that they're facing. Next, we got Joe Panic retiring. Joe Panic was a late first-round pick in 2011 and debuted in 2014 when he came in sixth in Rookie of the Year voting. Uh, his All-Star year was in 2015. He batted 312 and with a slugging percentage of 455, and he collected a gold glove. He did get injured with the Giants and then had a slight rebound with the Mets a couple years later and then played between the Blue Jays and the Marlins, but really never got anywhere. His peak was with, with San Francisco. Uh, his most memorable moment was for sure the great double play, the diving double play he turned in Game 7 of the World Series for the Giants. Um, and he will be added to the Giants Wall of Fame. And I thought this was interesting. The criteria for the Giants Wall of Fame, you either have to spend five years um, on the team and have an all-star get all-star selection. So he does have both of those things. Uh, so he will be making the Wall of Fame. So congratulations, Joe Panic, on a great career, uh, having a highlight in the annals of MLB history forever, especially in the Game Seven of a World Series. So congratulations. 
Another old head for this week, we got Justin Upton, who was designated for assignment earlier this year and eventually left the Angels. He did sign with the Seattle Mariners. He signed a one-year deal. Um, the Mariners designated for assignment Adrian Sampson. Um, Justin Upton will report to the extended spring training until he is ready to meet up with the club, um, bring some power to their outfield possible DH spot. The Angels do owe him almost $30 million, and the Mariners are only going to pay him five hundred fifty dollars So if it works out for the Mariners, it's a complete steal. Angels are going to be you know, dealing with the load of all that pay and whatnot. He did struggle with the Angels between 2019 and 2021. He hit just 211. He was a four-time four-time All-Star before that. Of course, we know uh, him and his brother Justin and BJ uh, were a one-two punch for sure. Uh, he batted 262 with a 471 slugging percentage in those four-time All-Star years, and he was the first overall pick by the D-backs in 2005. Um, so he's, I think he was really brought in in Seattle because their outfield is in trouble with Hanniger injured. Kelnick designated for assignment after a really really slow start. Uh, Julio Rodriguez is doing great, but uh, Kyle Lewis is also, you know, on the mend from injury. So I think it was a good signing, 550K. That's a lot of money in real people money, but in MLB money, uh, it's 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 very cheap. So, you know, I want to see what Justin Upton does. Another one of those 2000, 2010 people you grew up watching hitting absolute nukes. Um, and you, you hate to see struggle with age, but back to the Yankees. I feel like a lot of this news this week is about the Yankees, but, you know, it's what I'm more in tune to. We have the Yankee-Chicago White Sox brawl. Josh Josh Donaldson calling Tim Anderson Jackie, as in Jackie Robinson. He was referring to a 2019 interview when Tim Anderson basically said, I am the new age Jackie Robinson. Of course, we know Jackie Robinson as the great civil rights leader breaking the color barrier for the Dodgers. And also, I watched a video yesterday, just an absolute stud baseball player. Like, people say, like, oh, like, you know, he wasn't that good. He was MVP. He was a fantastic baseball player. He didn't play baseball for, like, like, he literally did not pick up a baseball or a bat between the age of, like, 20-something and 25. And then in his 30s, between 30 and 35, he was, like, one of the best baseball players of all time at that age. So, you know, with, of course, alluding to, to uh, Jackie Robinson, it might be seen as a race thing. Tony LaRusso did say Josh Donaldson was racist. Anderson said it was not necessary. Uh, Donaldson said, of course, he was not supposed to be racist. But, you know, if you if you have to think about it that much like, and you think about the repercussions, I think he shouldn't have said it. Uh, you know, I'm not a fan of the trash talk anyway. Just go out and play is really what I believe in. But um, I don't think he meant to be racist. Um, but, I, you know, just don't say it. It's just, you know, it's not good for the sport, of course. Um, and Anderson and Donaldson did have beef earlier this week when uh, Tim Anderson did not take, you know, he did not take kindly to a Donaldson slide. Uh, and just me and my friend were talking about it, Donaldson, you know, making this whole fiasco with the brawl just really took the wind out of the Yankees' sails. Uh, tough loss against the um, against the Orioles, tough losses against the White Sox. They lost that series, so it kind of just really messed up the Yankees' mojo. Not a big fan. And then even sticking with Yankee mojo, getting messed up, we got Chad Green, has to get Tommy John. He will undergo the season-ending injury. Uh, he threw the most innings of any Yankee reliever since 2016, so the Yankees have really depended on him from the bullpen. Um, he was also relieved in the middle of an outing um, against the Orioles with some soreness in his arm or, or his forearm, I believe. Turned out to be the worst-case scenario with the Tommy John surgery being needed. He will also face free agency for the first time at the age of 31 coming off Tommy John, so we don't know what his worth is going to be. Could possibly stay with the Yankees, but you don't know what type of pitcher he's going to be. You know, it's such a debilitating surgery. 
2021, he had a .88 whip with a 3.12 ERA. So absolutely stellar for the Yankees, even though it wasn't a great season for them. But he was great out of the bullpen. His only stint in his first stint in the I.L. was 2016. And since then, he has pitched 338 innings. I mean, that's a lot of mileage on the arm, a lot of mileage on the elbow and forearm. So, you know, could 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 have just been building up in his arm this whole time. Ron Marandaccio, Wandy Peralta, and Clark Schmidt are going to eat up his innings out of the bullpen. Wandy Peralta ate up some innings last game uh, that I was at the Baltimore Orioles-Yankee game. And possibly could have been a Chad Green inning there, but, you know, he's going to be out for the foreseeable future. Uh, I saw some possible trades of the Yankees could bring in some relievers, Gabe Spire or Tyler Taylor Clark from the Royals, uh, or Will Crow or Will Bednar from the Pirates. Uh, I'm not really sure what they're going to do. I think they're going to wait for how their season's panning out, see how their bullpen, because their bullpen's been great this year. So they're, I think they're going to see what's, uh, you know, what's up with their bullpen going forwards. Uh, just to finish up the news with some of our picks, our bad beats. So this week we finished 60 and 36, much better than last week. I was sitting around 500. Uh, I've never been below 500. I take pride in that, but this week much better. Uh, I think my record is around 80 games over 500 so far this season. So if you're not paying attention to the picks, you really should pay attention to the picks. I had a kid come up to me uh, in the in the deli today telling me that my picks look great. So I was I really appreciated that because they have been great. I'm gonna I'm gonna pat myself on the back. They've been great. So should really be paying attention to them. But just some bad beats. We got the Guardians tying it in the ninth. But then they walk in the winning, winning run versus the Reds last Tuesday. The Reds hit into five double plays that game, and they blew the lead in the ninth inning uh, off an Owen Miller two-run home run. I was watching this live, and I was going crazy because they were losing. I was like, all right, this pick's not going to hit. And then he just ripped a two-run home run, and they tied it up. Uh, the Guardians or the Reds went on to win without making contact as Moustakis walked, was walked to bring in the uh, – <clears throat> the winning run in the 10th inning off of Nick Sandlin, who was looking very bad, was th- having trouble finding the strike zone. And they were down to their last strike. There was two strikes. So it was sad to see them come back and then, you know, lose on a walk-off walk, basically. Other than that, we got the Angels up 4-3 and then letting up seven runs in the ninth to lose to the Rangers on the same day on Tuesday. The rally was led by Corey Seager, a bloop double against the shift. Man, I hate the shift. I think they should just play straight up, but... You know, some some players you can shift, like Joey Gallo, you know, Giancarlo Stan, all those guys you can shift. But I don't know, just just some people, you know, some great hitters you can't. Not that those people aren't great hitters, but you know, they're they're going a certain way ninety percent of the time. But other than that, like you can't you can't be uh, shifting. That's just my opinion on that. <clears throat> and then Garcia brought in Seager and Luis Rengifo made a bad throw to first, and then I thought this was pretty insane. Angels first baseman Matt Duffy had to leave the game after the bad throw from uh, Rengifo hit him in the face, which is just super unfortunate, of course, for the picks, too. I mean, like, we care about Matt Duffy's health and whatnot, but that just it just piles on at that point. Back-to-back walks loaded the bases, and then Nathaniel Lau brought in, the two, brought in two runs with a single, and then Sam Huff hit a bloop two-run double. Just a lot of bloopers, a lot of contact that was bringing in runs, just unlucky ball placement. Um, and Brendan Marsh misplayed a ball in left field for an Eli White inside the park home run. It went right under his glove, and I'm pretty sure he's a great fielder. Like, that outfield, of course, is great, and Marsh is definitely the f- more on the fielding side, um, but they, you know, they blew it, and then it was a 10-4 lead in the inning. The Angels did score one run, but, it, you know, it's not enough. And this one um, was watching live as well. It's probably 
one of the most heartbreaking. One of the, the most heartbreaking of the three was the Max Muncy uh, making an error with two outs in the tenth. We had the Dodgers up one. They scored a run at the top of the tenth, and then the Phillies had Roman Quinn and Garrett Stubbs on base. Garrett Stubbs on third. Alec Bohm hit a soft grounder to Max Muncy, uh, who's playing second base because you know they got Freddie Freeman. He's kind of a utility guy, but he did boot it. It did go between his legs. And Roman Quinn is one of the fastest players in the MLB. He was able to score from second base on a botched ground ball. And they ended up losing. They scored two runs. And it was an easy infield out. I mean, not going to say, like, oh, it's easy, like, you know, make a play. But I feel like it was a fairly easy play to make. Uh, they didn't make it. And, uh, you know, the pick the pick suffered. But next we are going to go to our old head of the week. I failed to include Paul Goldschmidt. I know he's having an incredible week. I think we did him last week. Pretty sure he's batting, like, 440. Uh, I just wanted to shout him out right here before I forget. So shout out Paul Goldschmidt. He didn't make the list, but we'll get to the people who made the list after this. So jumping into our old heads of the week, of course, term of endearment. Don't want anyone coming for me, coming for my head. Uh, saying I'm a young blood, saying I'm hating on all the older players. I respect them, of course. We got J.D. Martinez at the ripe age of 34 years old. Went 10 for 20 this week, of course, batting 500. Scored six runs, had three doubles, one home run, and three RBIs. Not a great RBI time, but getting on base nonetheless. His average jumped 15 points, and his OBP jumped 11 points. Both absurd weeks, uh, you know, building up that momentum for J.D. Martinez. Boston was 5-1 and one over that span after a tough start to the season. Over the six games when J.D. Martinez was really raking. Uh, they won the Houston series. Didn't sweep, but they did win a series against a uh, World Series hopeful, even without Correa, which I find insane. But this is J.D.'s time. They also then went on to sweep the Mariners. You know, Mariners, not as good of a team, of course, but still good thing, to, good to get those wins under the belt, uh, as they did start out very slow, as I said before. Also, shout out to his teammate, Trevor Story. I know JD won't mind if I'm hyping up his teammate, Trevor Story, hitting a crazy amount of home runs this week. I think it was five and six days or something like that. Uh, really started off slow for the Red Sox himself. Uh, really picking it up. And I was saying when he was struggling, oh, the Yankees, maybe they shouldn't have got him. Maybe they're fine with IKF. IKF's fine. But, you know, now I'm changing my mind. Now I'm saying they should have gotten Trevor Story. But, you know, it's all about being a Fairweather fan and whatnot. <clears throat> anyway... On the Red Sox, you know, with their great hitters, you got Verdugo and Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers. Martinez is first in average, third in average in the MLB. Uh, first in doubles, also third in the MLB. His o- top OBP, he's 10th in the MLB in OBP, and he's top of OPS, and he's sixth in that uh, category in the MLB. So looking very strong for a Red Sox team that's not been looking good, but getting better, as I said, with that 5-1 and one record this week. So shout out J.D. Martinez, really helping He's going to be a pivotal piece for that Red Sox team going forwards. Next, we got Martin Perez, pitcher for the um, Texas Rangers. Only 31 years old, but past that 30-year-old threshold that we referenced before. He threw his first shutout since 2014, and that was coming in his first stint with the Rangers. He did bounce around, I believe, the Red Sox at another club, but his last shutout was with the Rangers in his first stint. He shut out the favored and World Series contender Astros, as we mentioned before. Astros making the show uh, not in a manner that they would like today. But he did have a complete game, allowed eight hits, struck out five, and zero earned runs against that great offense. You know, eight hits is a lot, but did not allow a run. So, you know, clutch, really finding his spots, really winning those important at-bats. 
His ERA dropped from over two to about 164. So he started out pretty great and got even better. He won his third straight game to move to three and two after losing his first two. He has a career 458 ERA with a 146 whip. Um, you know, which are pretty below average if you ask me from a you know a long tenured baseball pitcher, you know, baseball pitcher, pitcher, but it's definitely not bad numbers. Nothing to write home about, as we like to say, but still a very impactful MLB pitcher. He has the most wins and lowest ERAs and whip on the Texas club this year. He hasn't allowed a home run either, and his ERA plus is sitting at 2.33, which is was at 133% better than the average pitcher. Uh, you got to love these standardized statistics. Really puts it into perspective for Martin Perez. Uh, he leads nearly every pitching stat on the Rangers. One of the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher on that club. And he also liked my Instagram picture. We'll get to that in the social media section, but that was very exciting. I don't want to give away too much right now. So next, we're going to be back with Young Gun of the Week. Uh, you know, one pitcher, one batter. I think we're going to go with that. We're going to try to go one pitcher, one batter, unless we have someone really stand out and we'll do more players. But we'll be back with that in a second. Back to the other side of the spectrum for our young guns of the week. This week, we are starting with Dylan Carlson, 23-year-old outfielder for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was placed on the IL with a hamstring injury at the end of this week, but still did not stop him from having a pretty solid week. 9 for 23 for a 391 batting average, 2 doubles, 1 RBI, 11 total bases. His average jumped up 19 points. His OBP also climbed up 16 points. He was the first round pick in 2016 for the Cardinals. I know we have a lot of uh, Cardinals, you know, prospects making the news now. We'll get to that later, Libertor and Gorman. Uh, but, you know, I just wanted to shout out Dylan Carlson for doing great things himself. His rookie year in 2021, he batted 266 with a 780 OPS. So very, very solid numbers in his rookie year. He hit 31 doubles, 18 home runs, and 65 RBIs. So very productive, as I said. Um, they're definitely going to be comparing uh, Gorman to him going forward, even though they play different positions. But, you know, they want to see that production out of Gorman. They're going to be comparing him to Carlson. He also had a OPS plus of 115. So, you know, 15% bat- better than the average MLB player. Above average still. Not crazy, but we do you do like to see those things out of a young guy. He had a 3.3 war um, in that rookie year. So very quality starter in center field. For the Cardinals, third in rookie year, rookie of the year voting as well in 2021, or in 2020, I believe that was, or 2019. But last year in 2021, he did slow down, hit just, or no, this year in 2022, he did slow down, hitting just 247 with a 654 OPS. Uh, but this week, you know, having a great week, so the numbers are improving, the numbers will be going up. Law of the averages, you know, maybe we'll see those numbers go up comparatively to his rookie year. Uh, but shout out Dylan Collison having a great week for the Cardinals. Uh, you know, can be overshadowed at points with Gorman, Libertor, Tommy Edmond, you know, uh, Pujols, of course, and Molina making making news, as we'll get to later as well. Don't want to give too much away, but shout out to Dylan Carlson. Dylan Carlson. Uh, next, we're going to go to Brady Singer, pitcher for the Royals at just 25 years old. He made two starts this week, so busy week for Mr. Singer against the favorited or favored White Sox and also against the Minnesota Twins with Correa back in the lineup. Against the White Sox, he pitched seven, in, seven innings, 
allowed just four hits, nine Ks, and zero earned runs. Stellar outing. Next outing against the Twins, seven innings pitched, four hits again. Three strikeouts, not as many strikeouts, but still zero earned runs. He dropped his whip from 141 to .97. Dropped his ERA from 635 to 183. That was probably the most compelling stat, the most crazy stat I saw. I saw. I told my friend, that's just an incredible jump, or not jump, but you know, decline, but uh, a jump in performance for Brady Singer. His opponent's batting average was all the way up at 292, which is pretty dang high, but he dropped it down to 170, which is very, very good. He threw 14 innings combined. And he only threw five innings last month. And last month was last month was very not friendly to Brady Singer, which is why his opponent batting average and his uh, ERA was so high going into this week. He's been one of their best spot starters. Not really a full-time rotation guy. Uh, he's been one of the best alongside Joel Piamps. Uh, he was a 2018 first-round pick by the Royals. He was 5-10 last year with a 4-9-1 ERA. So not very good. Uh, the next year... or. Excuse me. In 2020, he was four and five with a 4.06 ERA. Uh, so you know, better than 2021, but still, you know, those first two years were not very friendly to him. He's really settling into that potential fourth starter spot uh, with Zach Greinke being up there in age. Coming the time when he does retire or leave the Royals, he could really replace Greinke in the one or two spot. Him and Brad Keller can be a really nice young one-two combination for the Royals, who are a young team really trying to get better, really growing with you know, Bobby Wood Jr., all those people on their squad. They're really the exemplifying, they're exemplifying exa- example of uh, you know, Young Guns of the Week. So shout out Brady Singer and Dylan Carlson. And next we're going to be going to the Prospect of the Week with some people that we have talked about already. But we'll be right back. We're going to stay with the young guys, and we're going to go to our prospects of the week slash prospect spotlight guy we talked about already, Nolan Gorman, 22-year-old second baseman for the Cardinals, called up on the same day as friend and f- fellow Cardinals prospect pitcher Matthew Libertor, who we'll get to next. He's the Cardinals' second overall prospect and 27th overall prospect in the MLB, and he is the second overall second baseman prospect. He was hitting 513 this week. With a 385 batting average. Got his first hit on May 20th, went one for three with a walk and a run in that game that he got his first career hit. His most stellar game, his most strong performance so far, came on May 22nd against the Pirates in that series that he started out in. Went three for five with a double and an RBI. Tommy Edmond is actually going to be moving over to shortstop so Gorman can feel more comfortable and had locking up that second base position. Um, and AAA, before he came up in 2022, through 34 games, he hit 308 with a 1.044 OPS with 15 home runs and 23 RBIs. So a very stellar start to his minor league uh, season in 2022 and also a very stellar start to his MLB season and MLB career in 2022. Next, we got fellow Cardinal prospect, as I said, fellow 22-year-old as well, Matthew Libertor. He is a pitcher for the Cardinals, 36 overall prospect, third overall left-handed pitching prospect, and Cardinals third overall prospect right after Nolan Gorman. He was a first-round pick in 2018 by the Rays, and I think we covered, we definitely covered him already because he was featured in a trade 
uh, with Randy or Rosarena, as we know, Ray's outfielder and Ray's, you know, hero in the playoffs. And Jose Martinez, who spent one year in Tampa, only appeared in 24 games, you know, not really uh, as impactful as Randy or Rosarena. Came over in that trade, um, but he did not have as good as a, a start um, in the major leagues as his teammate and friend Nolan Gorman did. He pitched four and two-thirds innings, allowing seven hits, four earned runs, and just three strikeouts on Saturday. Uh, before being called up in 2022 in AAA, he was 3-3 three and three with a 3-8-3 ERA, so pretty productive, not too shabby. He really impressed in 2019 through single A when he, was been, when he pitched 6-2 and two and finished with a 3-10 ERA. Much more impressive numbers uh, was single A, though. So, you know, you got to make those jumps. you gotta, you got to readjust. Got to readjust to the MLB as well as we saw his uh, performance this weekend. He did make his start due to a depleted bullpen, and they were playing a doubleheader. So they needed a spot start, and they needed an extra arm from Matthew Levertor, maybe get him some experience. He was sent back down to the AAA affiliate. Uh, you know, he can work on his game down there, you know, get out of his head. Not that he's in his head, but it's not its not a bad thing to be sent back down is what I've learned personally from doing all this baseball research. Uh, but he could be back soon with Steven Matz on the IL after, you know, pitching only, I think it was four pitches in their last game. You know, it's a tough start for Matthew Libertor, but he is a top prospect for a reason. Uh, you know, he can get it done. He's only 22 uh, he can be up there with his friend Nolan Gorman soon enough. Next, we're going to go to a guy that I actually saw get to play yesterday. I was super excited. Two things. I was super excited for the Yankee game because Garrett Cole was pitching. Thought he was going to have a great day. And two, Adley Rushman was playing because he got called up recently. Adley Rushman is 24 years old. Top Orioles prospect. Top overall prospect in the MLB. He's a catcher. But yesterday, he actually DH'd. I think he's gotten some time DH'ing as well as catching. His first career hit was a triple against the Rays. <clears throat> and when I was writing this, I always thought, you know, Brett Phillips made the error that kind of got him a triple. He couldn't really pick it up. Uh, he botched it in the outfield. Brett Phillips really um, finds a way into every single episode of Back in the Dugout. Um, he should be like an honorary guest. I should try to get him on the show because he seems to always be mentioned in some form or another in this show. But anyway, back to Adley Rushman. He's gone hitless otherwise, uh, other than that triple. So he's 1 for 12 this week. You know, .083 average. It's really early. You know, these guys, you got to give them some time to, you know, really acclimate themselves. Um, he also was playing in New York, uh, which is a pretty tough environment to play in. He was hitting .233 in AAA this year before him being called up. So not a, not a great start, but he still was a top prospect. Um, but in his only full season in the minors in 2021, he hit .285 with the .899 OPS. 75 RBIs, 227 total bases in just 123 games. So his full season, his only full season in 2021 was really promising. Him and Bobby Witt Jr., you know, that's why he got up there into that top prospect area, one or two area um, with Bobby Witt Jr., as I said. Uh, he's one of the best prospects in recent memory. And I saw when I was researching this, he was compared to Bryce Harper, who of course was a catcher uh, in the minors in college and high school, or just in high school. Um, but, you know, now he's playing outfield. Um, and he's also was compared to Mark Teixeira. So, you know, just an absolute slugger um, who can play DH first base. He probably will find some more time at first base. You know, got to keep those knees fresh at just 24 years old. But those are incredible people to be compared to. You know, absolute sluggers, people that have hit for insane power, all-stars, MVP caliber people. He does have – he has been, you know, on a slow start for the Orioles – 
But the Orioles did get the win over the Yankees, and he did get his first career hit out of the way. It's very stressful. It's very exciting, very stressful. You know, get to keep the ball, have a lot of fun with your boys, have a lot of fun with your family watching. Um, so shout out to all three of those guys, you know, being the prospects of the week, getting the nod this week. Even if some of their performances, you know, weren't, weren't great, but it's still a tough thing to do to get all the way up to the big leagues. So shout out to them. Next, we're going to our surprises of the week. To our surprises of the week, some things we didn't see coming, some players that outperformed our perceptions of them, uh, some players that maybe have underperformed based on what we thought of them coming into this week or coming into this year. First, we're going to start with our good surprise of the week. We got Cole Calhoun, the 34-year-old Texas Rangers outfielder. He hit 8 for 22 or 364 this week with 18 total bases, three home runs, one double, and four RBIs. His average jumped from 229 to 243, which is around his career average. His slugging jumped from 396 to 443. Not great, but getting up there, as we said. I was slandering him earlier. I forget what we were talking about. I was talking about some outfielder that could, you know, find a different place uh, through a trade. Um, you know, just had an excess of outfielders. And I was saying, oh, they should go to the Rangers because Cole Calhoun is not a great outfielder like everyone uh, you know, in their outfield can be replaced uh, besides Adoles Garcia, maybe. Uh, but he's really shutting me up this week. Rangers were three and three this week, but they did sweep the Angels, who of course, you know, all you know, all Hall of Fame Mike Trout, All Star, possibly a Hall of Fame Shohei Otani, and Taylor Ward looking absolutely killer this year. They did sweep the Angels. Uh, Cole Calhoun had a rough April, but he's really turning it around so far in May. Similar to the, you know, the Rangers as in a whole, you know, in April they were 7-14 and 14, and thus far in May they're 11-8. and eight. So 18-22 and 22, I think that is. They're really inching closer to 500. A lot of people probably thought they were going to be better than they are. But, you know, they had a slow start. They're turning it around similar to a lot of their players. Marcus Simeon's still having a slow start. But Corey Seager, Cole Calhoun, you know, they're really turning it around right now. He's probably the best hitting outfielder on the t- on the team on the Rangers right now, even better than Adoles Garcia, who's having a slow start, and he's one of the best power bats on the team as of now. Uh, and he's up there with Corey Seager. Him and Corey Seager and uh, Jonah Heim are like, you know, some of the best hitters on that team. Who would have thought? Who would have seen that coming? I mean, Corey Seager, yes, but Cole Calhoun and uh, Heim. Uh, you know, it's early still, but I want to give him credit where credit is due. So shout out Cole Calhoun. And on to our bad surprises of the week. We got one. We got Robbie Ray. Hate to point out the negative, but, you know, we got we got to talk about it. We got to see what's going on with Robbie Ray. You know, the more he is the Mariners pitchers, former Cy Young at Toronto. They get 13 wins and a 2.84 ERA over there. He made one start this week against the Red Sox. He had six innings pitched, four earned runs, and he allowed a home run. This week, his ERA jumped to 4.77, and he's now sitting at 500 at 4-4. Four and four. He has allowed three or more runs in five of nine starts, so getting off to a very slow start compared to last year has been a very solid, very consistent pitcher throughout his career. Uh, but this year, after getting that insane uh, contract, it's not not looking good for him as of now. He only had seven losses last year, so he's more than halfway there as of now, uh, about a month and a half, almost two months in the season at 4-4, four and four, as I said. So not a great start with his new club, the Mariners. 
through 2017 and 2021, you know, not including 2020. And that season's a bit of an asterisk, if you ask me. He was 46 and 24, so well above 500. It's looking like my picks right now, that record, but uh, Robbie Ray was well above 500. I thought Seattle's rotation was going to be very good. I thought they were going to be better than they are right now. Um, I thought they were going to be filthy with all those young stars. Um, you know, Logan Gilbert, Robbie Ray, all those people. Um, and it's really just hasn't panned out as much for Robbie Ray. Logan Gilbert, yeah. He signed a five-year, $150 million deal, making about $23 million a year. And it's, you know, it's looking a bit iffy, a bit shady right now for Robbie Ray. Uh, he's got one of the worst ERAs in the rotation. And, you know, Logan Gilbert is looking like probably their, their you know, I said this about uh, Nestor Cortez, their, their undercover ace. It's not very undercover. He's just, he's looking disgusting. But Logan Gilbert is looking like their true ace right now. And he's way younger. You know, you did sign Robbie Ray in, but, you know, maybe, you know, less innings for him. They're, they, I think they're definitely going to play it out and see how he's going to, you know, bounce back. You know, it's early. It's still early, we said, for these, you know, past episodes. But Logan Gilbert is still looking incredible. So could see more innings going Gilbert's way. But, um, you know, shout out Robbie Ray. He, he did struggle, but he possibly could bring it around. Um, and, you know, Mariners could bring it around as well uh, with all those, you know, free agents that they got. Suarez, Winker, you, you know the deal. And uh, J.B. Crawford looking very good as well. Um, but next we're going to go to social media moments of this week. We've got a couple, including the Martin Perez moment that I referenced earlier. So we'll be right back for that. To our social media moments of this week. I'm gonna start out with the Martin Perez moment as I or Martin Perez moment that I referenced earlier. So whenever you post someone on Instagram or with their at, it'll DM them the picture immediately. So at first I posted him for best on the bump. Um, and it DM'd him automatically the post. He liked the DM and I said, like, thank you so much for liking it, and then he liked that, and then he went on to the actual post. And liked the post and left a fire emoji, like the flame emoji. Uh, you know, as I said, I tag everyone. And I don't think anyone has um, really responded at all or even seen it. But he did see it. He responded. He interacted. He left a comment. I thought it was the coolest thing I've seen since doing this, you know, up there with me talking to Alex Rodriguez and Michael Kay. But it was incredible. I thought it was so cool. Especially because I, you know, I posted something. It was, it was, it's like so fun, you know, because you're connecting fans and the players in a great way. You're connecting them with great content. I believe I make great content. Car content, you know, I can get better. Uh, we're still learning, but I believe in what I'm doing here. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun. I think you guys should think it's a lot of fun too. But it was just one of the highlight moments of doing this so far, and that's why that's why I do this. I do this for moments like this. Not for me, but, you know, just to connect people, connect people throughout the baseball world. I thought it was really cool. Anyway, on to another pitcher. I think all three are pitcher moments today. Uh, but next is Bartolo Colon with a possible return to New York. He is hoping to return to the Mets at just, <clears throat> at just 49 years old. You know, they call him the big sexy. Going to be back in the big apple, possibly, uh, with Scherzer McGill and... Jacob deGrom out for the foreseeable future. There was also a video of him throwing off a mound. Uh, you know, he plays in the Mexican League, I think. Uh, but he was throwing off a mound. He was looking in good shape for the big sexy. He was looking in good shape. Did have a couple gray hairs. Uh, it looked like he was sitting somewhere in the 80s still, which is pretty incredible. He could still chuck. 
Um, he's currently in the Mexican League. He has a four five five ERA from last season in the Mexican League, so not very good. Um, but you know, he has the hearts of New York. He has the hearts of Queens in that organization, especially with the new owner. Maybe they're more open to uh, bringing him back in there. He last appeared in the MLB in 2018 with the Rangers with an ERA over 5.75. So definitely past his prime. Um, just It was just incredible to see him still chucking, still throwing off a mound, still looking like he can do something. Um, I don't think they're going to bring him back, but maybe they'll bring him back in one of those like special advisor, you know, special advisor to the owner or special advisor to the pitching coach or something. And they could be like a player coach and, you know, suit up when they need an emergency pitcher. <laughs> but I just thought it was funny, you know, seeing him. Another 20, 20, 2000s to 2010s uh, player, you know, making the news. It's always it's always lighthearted and fun. Next, we got Yadier Molina pitching. And uh, there, I feel like there's been so many blowout losses and stuff like that. There's so many position players pitching. Uh, that you're bound to like get one of these every week on on the show. So Yadier Molina pitched. Uh, you know, of course, he's a usual catcher. He's caught 152 shutouts, not games, but shutouts. So you know, his career as a catcher. I think we all know who he is as a catcher uh, on that Cardinals team and what he means to St. Louis. It's his first pitching performance in 19 years of his career. I feel like he would have been. I mean, I mean. He's a very valuable catcher, so maybe they don't want to like risk him getting injured or whatnot. But I would think he'd have an inning before that. He did allow four runs on two home runs, as as what tends to happen when you have those guys in there. But they still ended up winning. They were up eighteen nothing. They won eighteen four, and it was exactly a week after teammate Albert Pujols pitched himself. Pujols, uh, it was like a little league when you have a friend on the bench who wears like the mask and warms you up in between innings. Uh, Pujols did warm him up, and they had a few chuckles. But Yadier Molina did throw 14 strikes out of 20 pitches. Uh, him and Pujols do have a 36 career ERA, but manager Oliver Marmol did say Molina had better command of his fastball. I mean, he did throw 14 strikes out of 20 pitches, so I would agree with uh, Marmol. He did have pretty good control, pretty good uh, location. Um, shout out all those pitchers. Uh Especially Martin Martin Perez, you know, really, really bringing the love to the podcast Instagram. Uh, but that's it for social media. We're gonna go to today in history after this and our obscure player. I'm thinking about changing. I thought about this one. I, obscure player to not your father's baseball player, even though they are. You know what I'm saying? It's like a play on words. I thought it'd be pretty interesting to make it that. So we're gonna go with that. Not your father's baseball player. to our Today in History, the history segment, which is honestly probably my most favorite part. I do like doing the research, the history background of baseball. I do love history in general. So we're going to start in 1906 with Martin DeHigo being born. I didn't know who he was um, specifically, personally, but I did in the research learn a lot about him. He was nicknamed the Immortal. With a nickname like that, you do have to be very important in the world of baseball. He played in the African-American League and Latin American leagues between 1923 and 1936. He was a two-way player, and some of his stats are absolutely insane. He batted 307 in the African-American League with 5'11 slugging, so very, very productive. 
He also served as a player manager for the New York Cubans in 1935 and 36. He was a two-time All-Star. And his greatest season that he ever played was 1938 in the Mexican League. He was 18-2 with a .9 ERA. And he also hit 387. So Babe Ruth, Shohei Otani pretty much on steroids, but not on steroids. Steroids as a... uh, as a euphemism for, you know, just being better versions of them. Um, so, yeah, that, that was just a crazy year. He had a, a 1.5 ERA another year. Just crazy numbers. Uh, he also served as Cuba's Minister of Sports, so very important in the political sphere, the government sphere. Uh, so just goes further than baseball, meant a lot to Cuba. He was posthumously elected to the American Baseball Hall of Fame in 1977 after passing away, I think, in 63. He was also inducted into the Hispanic Heritage Baseball Museum. And he is just one of two two-way players, so pitcher, batter, uh, to be inducted into the American, Cuban, Mexican, Dominican Republic, and Venezuelan Baseball Hall of Fames. Very important, very influential for a multitude of countries, especially the United States, which tends to get the most fanfare, but all those other countries, uh, you know, places that with the way that where his heritage was, uh, places where he meant a lot. So, I uh, just wanted to shout out Martin DeHigo on being born on this day in history. Next, we have another Yankee moment, of course, funny Yankee moment with Babe Ruth. On this date in 1922, Babe Ruth was ejected for throwing dirt at an umpire, and the story only gets crazier. He attempted to stretch a single into a double. And although the videos are sped up and they look like they're running really fast, not a very fast guy. He was thrown out. Uh, and he was called out by um, umpire George Hildebrand. He then got up, took a handful of dirt, and threw it at Hildebrand, threw it in his face. And he was then ejected, of course. I mean, I think he would have been, like, arrested today if he did that. But he was ejected at that time. And then as he was walking back to the dugout after being ejected, some fan was like chirping him. So he went in the stands and threatened to fight the fan. The fan then ran away. And like, this is where I think fans need to like chill chill out. Like you need to stop being bold if you're just going to run away. Um, also in today's game, they can't touch your players because like you can just sue them. No, I don't think back then, but that fan was, he ran away and it was not very brave of him. Pujols was fine, or not Pujols. Ruth was, that's how old our Pujols is. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Babe Ruth was fined $500 and suspended for a game. Uh, that $500 is around $8,593 today. So not a huge fine, but it definitely put a dent in his wallet back then. Uh, that fine is similar to Tim Anderson's fine for making contact with an umpire. So similar situations, you know, messing with an umpire. Um, so that just puts it in perspective. The next day, Babe Ruth, this is, how, this is how cool Babe Ruth is. I mean, not cool, but just like very masculine, maybe even toxic. Uh, he challenged the umpire to a fist fight after he was ruled that he got the suspension. And then I'm pretty sure his suspension was brought up to five games because he you know, didn't show nearly any remorse for what he did to that umpire. He did go on to finish that year, 1922, batting 315 and led the league with 672 slugging percentage. And he had an OBP of 434. So regardless of him, you know, making a mockery of baseball, a mockery of the umpire, you know, really taking the focus away from baseball and putting it on himself. He did finish with an incredible year in 1922. And just so much important news. We're going to 1951. Willie Mays debuted on this date in that year. His contract was purchased by the New York Giants, where he was made super famous. 
uh, from their minor league affiliate. He hit 477 to lead AAA by almost 100 points. So just 100 batting average points better than the next guy in AAA. He hit eight home runs and 30 RBIs in 35 games in AAA that year. He moved the I saw he moved the NL like the National League's best center fielder who was Bobby Thompson. He like forced him coming up like forced Bobby Thompson from center field to left field so Mays could play center field, which is just incredible to see how impactful he was to like the game's best center fielder. Similar to Jackie Robinson, he did attract a lot of African American fans to the New York Giants. They'd come out in groves and droves just to watch him play. You know, line the streets. He was a very impactful cultural icon. In, in the MLB as well. Apparently in batting practice, after he hit like absolute dingers, he was shagging in center and he threw a ball from deep center field to center to a home and third base on a fly, which is like, you know, like it's all these stories of like how, like what, how, what these athletes did. I believe it. I mean, you see the throw on like the basket catch, which is arguably, my dad says arguably more impressive than the catch, but he had a crazy arm. In the first game, he did go 0 for 5, and he did finish 0 for 12 in that that series that he did open his career at. But he did go on to play every day that season, batted 281 and won NL Rookie of the Year. And I was looking at the stats on Baseball Reference for like NL Rookie of the Year candidates, and they were batting like 130. And this, I was like, like rookies can bat like 240, 230, and win Rookie of the Year. It's like totally acceptable. But they were batting like 130, and he was batting 281. Like it wasn't even close for Willie Mays. As we know, Willie Mays, 24-time All-Star, 2-time MVP, 12-time Gold Glover, 2-time All-Star MVP, 1954 World Series champ, and won a batting title. Um, the incredible catch he made in center field with the throw, as I mentioned, that gets left out so many times. And he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1979. Just awesome to see where that career started. You don't really... If you're not researching it, you don't really look into the numbers. You hear the narrative that, oh, this person was incredible, you know, the catch this, that, and whatever, but it's just incredible to see where Willie May started and to just see his career develop from that point going forward and just seeing how impactful he was from day one. To finish this episode, we're going to go to our obscure athlete, or as I said, not your father's baseball player. We got Ross Grimsley. He was a left-handed pitcher. He played with the Reds, Orioles, Expos, and now the Nationals, but the Expos logos and stuff were way cooler. And the Indians, which are now the Guardians. His father was also an MLB pitcher. He only pitched one year, though, in 1951 with the White Sox. Ross Grimsley went to Fraser High School in Memphis, and he attended Jackson State in Tennessee. It is not the same Jackson State as we know today with, um, you know, getting the number one recruit and Deion Sanders and Deion Sanders' son. It's a different one. This one is in Tennessee. The other one is in Mississippi. Grimsley was drafted 17th overall in 1969. He was a one-time All-Star uh, with the Expos in 1978 when he went 20-11. and 11, So a 20-game winner. Don't really see those anymore with a 3.05 ERA. Very impressive. 1.16 whip and a 115 ERA plus. So a little bit above average. Did get to the not a Cy Young quite season. Did come in 7th in Cy Young voting, but definitely an All-Star caliber season. His career record was 124 and 99 with a 3.81 ERA. So pretty good, pretty stellar. I mean, his record is really good. His ERA is a little bit more iffy, but still great numbers for a pitcher who played across so many years with so many, so many teams. One of his most notable moments that I had a lot of fun reading about 
was with the Orioles in 1975. So he was getting heckled in Boston. It seems like Boston heckles a lot. I mean, New York has been doing that a lot this year and throughout history. But I'm going to come at Boston real quick. They were heckling at him while he was warming up. So he threw a ball into the stands. And not in a friendly way, I guess. Like, absolutely chucked one into the stands. He then injured a Boston fan. I couldn't find his first name. Last name was Manning, though. Uh, And he sued Grimsley. And it was a popular case that had to do with, like, safety in the workplace or something. Uh, so it was, the case was Manning versus Grimsley. So that's not a great thing to be known, be famous for. <laughs> but he also was famous for Yankees historical manager Billy Martin accused him of using Vaseline hidden in his hair on pitches to like make a spitball like move more, um, get a competitive edge. And this is just the guy Ross Grimsley. What he said. He didn't shower. He wasn't using Vaseline. It's just that he didn't shower during winning streaks. He was very, uh, you know, he was very believed in, like, not showering, not getting uh, superstitious, not changing what you're doing when you're on a win streak. So he just said his hair was very gross and greasy, which I don't know was worse, like, cheating or just being absolutely disgusting. Um, But, yeah, he was nicknamed Scuzz. I guess that's because he was gross. But he also was nicknamed Crazy Eyes because he wore turquoise contact lenses. And that's like such like a thing now for like social media and stuff to people to wear like contact lenses. But I feel like back in the 70s, it, it, it was crazy. That's why they called him Crazy Eyes for him to wear contact lenses, especially if you're on TV all the time and your eyes are looking funky. I thought that was pretty funny. And he then became a minor league pitching instructor for the Orioles, Braves, Mariners, and Phillies after he retired. And he has been a minor league coach for the Giants since 1999. Uh, so that is Ross Grimsley, Crazy Eyes, Scuzz, sued by a fan. Uh, just an incredible. I love looking at these guys. I get them off baseball reference, just a random player, generator type thing. And then I find a player and I'm like, oh, he was, you know, only one time all-star, you know, pedestrian-ish numbers, not great, good numbers. And then you like look into it and like they do all these crazy things. So I, I, that's why it's one of my favorite parts of the show. Uh, but anyway, that's all I have for today, guys. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you for following on instagram uh, liking pictures on instagram interacting with me on instagram at bitd podcast you know this will be up uh, i'll post it on the pod on the instagram it'll be up on youtube spotify apple music apple podcasts and the tvs network website so thank you tunnel vision sports of course Stephen hayes everyone over there who puts this stuff together uh, as always i have a lot of fun as i said we're working on the studio here it looks pretty good I think I'm going to change it, get more equipment. Uh, got to pick up some more equipment, a better camera. But I had a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Um, and, you know, be in tune for next season. But have a great day, guys. Thank you. Thank you.